Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jack Keyes, an inspiring individual who brings a fresh perspective to leadership. His journey already includes growing a Kiwi tech startup internationally, running a marathon in gumboots, and helping to put New Zealand Agri front and centre on the international stage in his role as an analyst for KPMG. If you're interested to learn why Jack feels the application of leadership is dynamic, and his observation of the number one thing that suppresses good leaders, please listen on. Jack, welcome along to the podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Ryan. Great to be here. Alrighty, let me hit you with our fast fact questions so the audience gets to know a little bit about Jack Keys, the man that is. Uh, food-wise, are you a breakfast or a dinner guy? I think there might be a common theme in these uh, answers, Ryan, but I'm a big foodie, so I'm a breakfast and a dinner guy. If I given the opportunity, I'd have multiple of each. Like it. And is there a signature dish, you know, that you your hatted restaurant you would be having? What would be your signature? Uh, I generally try and get what I can't cook so well. So something like venison or duck if I'm out for dinner. Nice, nice. And is there a, a dish that you're famous for personally? Uh, I am probably more famous for my breakfasts. So I cook a pretty good fried egg with avocado, bacon and that kind of thing. I'm usually the breakfast chef wherever I am. Nice. I like it already. Uh, when you get a bit of time out, Jack, are you a, an adventure or a relaxer? Would we find you bungee jumping or are you more likely to be on the pool lounger with a cocktail? You'll definitely see me doing a bit of both of those too, Ryan. I think I'm definitely always looking out for an adventure. There's been some interesting bungee style activities I've done in the past, but also it's always nice to um, get a bit of relaxation in as well when you're out and about. So try and mix, mix them both into a trip. Okay, and I have uh, intentionally crafted this next question because I do know a little bit about uh, some of your history, Jack, but would we more likely find you in dress shoes or gumboots? These days, you would find me more often in dress shoes. I'm working at the corporate office, KPMG. It's a nice pair of hush puppies or whatever it is that <laughs> suits the office environment. But whenever I'm not in the office or in the day job, it's definitely a pair of gumboots. And um, yeah, as you know, the gumboots did make their way into the city too last year. So I, um, I was running the Auckland Marathon in a pair of gumboots to raise some awareness for a couple of charities, Melanoma New Zealand and the Rural Support Trust. So I did get some pretty funny looks as I ran through the streets of Auckland in gumboots during my training and, and the marathon. Indeed. And uh, what were the state of the feet after running a uh, marathon in gumboots? Well, the training, they weren't so bad, but I guess I didn't train hard enough because when I went for that actual marathon, I, I pushed myself and I lost two toenails and I had uh, at maximum count 17 blisters. So the feet took a little while to recover from that one. Bit of a hammering. So you certainly took some personal pain, but uh, a great outcome for the charities that you were running for. Yeah, I mean, the initial um, goal was to raise $2,000, 1000 for each charity. And by the end of the campaign, we'd raised over 22000 So it was absolutely blown away. Outstanding. Fantastic effort and a great uh, contribution, Jack. Now, as a, a person that is very deeply involved in agribusiness in New Zealand in your, in your role and um, more broadly as well, um, I'm assuming there is only one answer to this next question, but you might surprise me. Cats or dogs? Oh, um, definitely I can answer this one and go dogs. Um, yeah, brought up on the farm, always had dogs around, but 
guess you have to be more of a cat person in Auckland because there's not so much space for dogs around here. <laughs> Maybe. Alrighty. And routine-wise, uh, growing up on a farm, has that uh, instilled early riser in you or are you uh, have you adapted to night owl? I'd say early riser would still be my closest category, but um, I do end up chipping away in the evenings and find that it's quite nice having that productive, quiet time in the evening as well. Sounds like a uh, dangerous uh, habit there, Jack, uh, just <laughs> chipping away at a few things at night. Next thing you know, the 80-hour week staring you down the barrel. But yeah, uh, yeah. We, we won't turn this one into a coaching session. Uh, and tell me, entertainment-wise, what would you like? What's your, what's your movie genre of choice? Usually, it's a chance to unwind later in the evening, and it's a good comedy, something that you can just sit back and relax and not think too much about. Like it. Yep. Good time to chill out. Alrighty, uh, broadly, we're, uh, our theme, of course, on the podcast here is uh, leadership. Um, maybe we'd be, we'll dive into your uh, kind of top three insights for the, for the audience, but just as a bit of, bit of background, could you give us, Jack, maybe your fast journey from head boy at Pyro College through to KPMG? Yeah, it's certainly been uh, interesting and, like you said, a fast journey. Um, Paidor College, Decile One, rural school with about 280 kids through to yeah, a company with 200,000 employees across 200 countries. It's been an interesting one, but the, the fast version is I was trying to decide whether I should be an um, accountant or a scientist at university. I thought I'd either earn money or do something interesting and um, then in my second year came across the world of agribusiness and so figured out they combine business and science pretty well and changed my degree and career around agribusiness so still finished with business and science degrees um, and entered the food and agri world for a little company called Farmax Limited initially which is um, a computer software company helping to optimize farm systems I um, started off entering data into Excel spreadsheets, the usual thing for a new grad, but within about 18 months was setting up a business in the UK, uh, doing a couple of trips back and forth and leading uh, the enterprise over there and also getting to host workshops all around New Zealand. So that was my first taste of a real world full-time job. I worked a bit part-time through uni, but um, after that, after a couple of years at Farmax and kind of contributing what I thought was the main things that I had to offer, I was looking for what's next and a job opportunity came up at KPMG. And that was uh, for a role that included some global, some domestic um, and some like consulting advisory opportunities. So I thought I'd make the transition of a, from a company with eight employees to a company with a lot more. And yeah, it's been an amazing experience so far. Awesome. And we're going to dive into some of the impact that uh, your role and your part of the business is having on the global stage with uh, KPMG. Keen to uh, discuss that. But I think there's a good opportunity here, Jack, for us. Give, us. give us your top three. What are some of the things that stand out for you from a, a leadership context from your involvement so far? I think definitely... Uh, Recently, I've had quite a few leadership experiences and they're probably causing the recency effect. <laughs> and um, the, the top three that uh, are on my mind, one of them is sort of the transitioning leadership or sort of the dynamic uh, aspect of leadership when you've got teams or groups. Um, another would be uh, the, around the area of 
inspiring leadership or, or leadership impact and where sometimes um, leaders potentially miss out on that opportunity to make their biggest impact, particularly in, in inspiring others. And then thirdly is more generally about how New Zealand can have their leadership impact on the world being the, the small country of 5 million that we are. Yeah, indeed. Hey, great. Let's uh, dive into those for a bit more explanation. So uh, this dynamic aspect of leadership, tell us more about that. This is some insight around uh, it doesn't have to be one person leading the team all the time and maybe how the natural dynamics in a, in a group are perceived and then if it's got space, how they uh, evolve during the duration of a project or a, a time in an organisation. Um, can you just share some of your insights and experience on that zone? Yeah, that's exactly right, Ryan. And it's um, it's one that it's a kind of topic that takes a little bit to explain and go through. It's not obviously a simple one and it varies in every context, but the important baseline of it is that in general, especially amongst younger people, there's an expectation that if you put a group or a team together, there'll be one or maybe two leaders that will come out. Um, and the rest of the group will expect a leader to arise and probably those external to the group will be looking for a leader as well. And I think what um, I've certainly learned in my journey so far is that the that leadership is a lot more dynamic than that. And you generally have, um, especially if you've got teams of kind of more than four or five or more, um, there's some natural roles which different people fall into and that by facilitating or pro appropriately making space for people within those roles, uh, it can really increase the impact a team can have. And so to explain that in the, a little more clearly, I think when you first have a team that's been put together or um, a team working on a new project, you generally have someone who's one of the, the more confident or most confident or extroverted people would, will initially jump into that leadership chasm and, and take over a bit of a leadership role. But those people aren't often the most suited to lead a whole project, but they're great for adding energy, getting people talking and involved to initiate a project. And depending on the type of project or goal, that could be over a series of hours or over a series of days. Um, but I think that's a really important role. And I think sometimes others in a group can look to that person and um, sometimes have a hint of jealousy or why are they the leader? But uh, rather than acknowledging that they're just playing their first part of the leadership puzzle. Um, more generally, there's then probably a second leadership base where you have um, those that are confident but not willing to put themselves straight in there, that want a little bit of time to digest the team dynamics and understand appropriately different skills of different team members and the goals. And they generally kind of take over from the more um, outgoing leader in the middle phase of a project. And that provides an opportunity to really bring a team together and make sure that they're operating efficiently and effectively rather than um, just going with the flow. And again, it's important that the first person who'd put up their hands as a leader allow space for that, but also that these new kind of leaders are, are given space. 
And then there's generally kind of a third phase of leadership where you've got this really good skills differentiation and really understand the team dynamics and there's space for everyone to have their own leadership roles within a group and contributing based on their skill set. And sometimes that means taking over parts of a project or a whole project for a phase, but they generally would have less of the kind of extroverted leadership qualities. And so there's different versions and different formats of this, but the most important role or the most important aspect is that the other members of the team allow for leadership change rather than being restrictive of it. And I think particularly in New Zealand with, you know, we'll probably come back to it a couple of times, but with a bit of tall poppy syndrome or a bit of uncertainty around what a leader actually is, it can be difficult for us to give space for leadership. I think it's really important that we facilitate and empower it instead. And Jack, if you were bringing together or part of a new team that was coming in to execute a project with this awareness and insight, how would you try to go about bringing that to the fore with the with that team, maybe right from the beginning, so that the team's already aware of that? How would you go about that? I think, firstly, uh, there's two aspects. One is to set really good expectations around um, kind of rules of the game with that team and how just acknowledging early on that there's going to be a diverse group of skill sets and to make space and be comfortable, but also to make sure that when a team's first been put together, that you're not jumping straight into a project necessarily or into problem solving, but that there's time for the for a group to get to know each other. And this is often the thing we skip because we're all so time restricted and so busy. And so we put a group of people together and say, okay, solve this. And then suddenly we're in meetings um, rather than the group going out for a walk together or the group sitting down for lunch together or something that just allows them to all understand a little bit more about themselves. It's often you can finish a project and not even know someone's full name or what, how long they've been in the company for or what anything about their family. And I think that's when we miss out on that human side, uh, we also miss out on the opportunities where that could have contributed uh, to a project as well. I think the topic of kind of know the whole person has come up numerous times in the in the project and uh, in the podcast, sorry, and uh, people that have grown that awareness that have come back to an understanding of the value of knowing the whole person team, so much value. And often it doesn't take a lot of time or effort to, to get some good insights and build those deeper connections. And you know, we do a lot of training with uh, leaders and so uh, interesting, often just in our very first catch up with a group of leaders, we'll just get them to say something really simple like, you know, what's your passion outside of work? And it's amazing. People that have been working together for years suddenly go, oh, I never knew you did karate. Oh, wow. I never knew you were into gin tasting. You know, yeah, and, exactly. and it's really quite yeah. uh, quite astounding that we can, uh, some organizations and, and teams can work together for such a long time and not really know much about the uh, people that are around them. Yeah, absolutely. So good, uh, good insight. Okay, I love, love that one. Is there a, an example that comes to mind for you where you've seen that uh, nice evolution and kind of transition of leadership across the time in a, in a team that stands out for you? Yeah, there's a perfect one for me. I was recently involved in the Rotary Young Leadership Award, RILA, where we, um, a lot of it's top secret, but essentially you're put into a team 
and suddenly given a whole heap of challenges that you have to complete within this team. And, um, and so you get to see this right at the forefront. You put in some pretty extreme conditions and some testing conditions and asked to solve these challenges. And you're already a group of leaders. So there's the extra kind of pressure of who's going to be the leading leader. Uh, and everyone's a little uncertain. But um, I think at the same time, uh, when the tone is set properly at the start, which was able to happen in the couple of groups that I was involved with, there was very comfortable transitions of leadership and um, people quite openly and honestly admitted that when they were put in certain teams, they had um, seen individuals within those teams and had some preconceived ideas about their skill set and um, then been extremely surprised when those people had come out as the most valuable team members or most valuable parts of certain challenges that had helped the team to be successful so just again allowing that space to understand the people and understand the strengths just proved to be extremely important and those teams that did that won by a long shot versus the teams where the dynamic broke down and they didn't allow for that leadership space interesting and yeah give us some insight and in- uh, you know, KPMG, probably a, a brand that many of us are familiar with. Uh, probably many of us think of a uh, very large organization with lots of hierarchy, uh, still uh, maybe from an outsider's thinking about the, some very traditional kind of models of um, who's the boss and who's the doers and, and that kind of thing. Um, what's been your experience coming into an organization like that about um the the role that you can play maybe leaders that are yes maybe following still that traditional model and how that works and then others that you've observed that maybe have uh, adapted a a different uh view and i'm i'm particularly interested on your insight as uh, we continue to hear about the changes in it the various generations that are coming into the workforce and what they appreciate and what what they like what's been your insights and learnings around that so though KPMG is a very large organization, um, even within New Zealand, but let alone internationally, my core team is a team of about four and a half. <laughs> so I um, have potentially a bit of a different experience than most that have gone to a kind of big four or similar kind of corporate environment. Um, and within my team, it ranges from a new graduate um, who's recently um, completed university through to the global head of agribusiness for KPMG International within a team of five. So there's pretty distinct, I guess, power bands or um, changes in hierarchy as you go through that group. Um, But what is really valuable within that team and being a smaller team is that just this morning, day two of lockdown here in Auckland, um, all five of us were on a call talking about what we'd had for breakfast and showing each other where we were sitting on the desk and to be able to have an intern and a graduate through to a global head having those conversations I think is really valuable Um, but you also can have that in a superficial way and what has been really valuable insight um, in the team that I'm in is that um, both of my bosses they really respect and give space for me to give insight and then to learn when I've given incorrect insight so I don't feel 
the pressure of failure. I feel that I can contribute what I'm thinking. And then I might feel a bit silly when I realize that I wasn't right. Or sometimes I've made suggestions which just haven't happened before and we've been able to implement change. And so you can have superficial leadership where you're allowing space or maybe allowing time, but not genuinely giving on opportunities to contribute or engage. Uh, but when there is the opportunity to contribute and engage, it makes a much more powerful team. And then through me being able to observe that with my graduates and my interns that I look after, I can do the same thing. And again, learn from them and them learn from me. And it, it's just a much more conducive environment. Mm. Probably comes back to that theme we've already talked about where leadership is dynamic, where sometimes as the leader, you need to go, hey, look, I'm really clear on the direction, the outcome we're looking for here. Follow me, people, and this is how you can help. And other times it's about going uh, much more towards the servant leadership end of the of the scale of going, you know, share your ideas with me. You guys know more about this or might have some different perspectives. So share those, share those with me. But neither neither option all the time is probably the right answer. Allowing your own leadership to be a little bit dynamic and where it uh, skips around can be pretty valuable. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, I'm an optimist and quite a positive person, so there won't be many negatives from me, but I guess the leaning more towards the negative, the, the thing that I do see in these types of environments is sometimes people that have been made um, people leaders or um, team leaders simply because they've been in a role for a long time, not because they necessarily have the skills to lead people in teams. And that is probably the most damaging or harmful aspect of leadership that I've seen because you can have um, a set of new employees or graduates enter an organization and two very similar with very similar backgrounds and characteristics can have very different experiences um, depending on the type of people they're put with. And just because someone has been in an organization for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that they should be put in charge with looking after other people if they haven't got the right skill set. I think that's really important. And it's not that that person is less valuable than others. It's just that because their skills are different, they shouldn't necessarily need to have people put under them to feel valued, but they need to be made sure that their value is respected for where their skill set is, because otherwise it, it can be quite harmful to to new, especially new team members. Correct. And yeah, it's very much a, a key focus for us in our business at the breakthrough of uh, firstly, that uh, the, the global research would suggest that the number one reason people leave a job is because of their manager. Yeah. So if your manager is not doing a good job, your you know, people churn and all that kind of thing can go through the, through the roof. And secondly, just this very common uh, approach across all industries where people are often promoted for their technical or functional expertise. They end up in people leadership roles, but don't have yeah. the people leadership skills to match. So um, the good thing about that is it allows us to create a uh, fantastic business helping those people grow those leadership skills <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you know that uh, that's um, that's created good opportunity for us but it's certainly uh, one that's very common out there Okay, and let's come back to this uh, second uh, insight you'd had around where maybe uh, someone is is a very good leader, but they can actually lose their leadership impact because they get too focused on other aspects of their of their role. Could you extend on that one for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, generally those leaders that are particularly inspiring or um, 
can have the most significant impact on others often quite successful and confident and have a broad skill set and then the focus tends to be on others leaning on that person to deliver results or to deliver work um, which takes up a lot of time and doesn't provide much space for all else so more specifically um, where you have these types of leaders that would have um, potentially had a really large impact in inspiring others on their own on their own leadership journey and kind of having a scaled impact you have them narrowly focused on specific projects and pieces of work which limits the scale of their impact um, and they'll those types of people will be successful in both roles but it's about taking a step back sometimes and un, and trying to consider or understand where your biggest impact can be and that depends on whether you're trying to have an organization level impact or a um, sector-wide impact or a society-wide impact um, and, and what's important to the people and and the context but um, often we without realizing our calendars get very packed up and then we say yes to a few extra things and then suddenly there's absolutely no time for other areas that are really important for impact, particularly around inspiring others that may be younger than us or earlier on their leadership journey. Um, and where you, one person could have gone and had an impact on 50 other people, instead they've just been working on one project the whole time. So I think that was a bit of a um, learning that I've taken again recently, seeing how busy some of our most successful leaders become and the word busy rolls off the tongue of them multiple times a day no doubt um, but that is a bit of a shame because it often means that they're not contributing as much value as they could be. Mm, totally agree with that insight and uh, with that awareness how do you Jay, how do you try to implement that into your own environment where you are leading others not only people that are directly reporting to you but in your broader engagements with clients and that kind of thing you end up in cross-functional teams and in projects and uh, the opportunity to lead others uh, it's super easy for us to continue to fill the calendar up with stuff um, yeah. how do you how do you uh, take it from a uh, probably a concept that everyone listening goes, oh, you're so right, you're so right. Yeah, no, more time to think about how to scale impact through you know, leadership is, is really valuable. But it's one of those things that maybe uh, says easy, does hard. So how do you go about trying to execute the, the insight? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And um, I've found that through my time at university and in my last job, I was using the word busy so much. I, I was extremely busy. I would just fill up every minute of the day doing something. Um, and I kind of had that reflection between entering my new role and the role that I was in. And I set the tone right from the start, both for myself and then communicated it to my managers that my um, the extracurricular activity that I wanted to be involved in, which is one of the areas that I kind of try and scale my leadership impact, uh, advise that that's really important to me and that I would rather limit my progression opportunities and be able to maintain that balance than have to sacrifice those opportunities to um, climb up the ladder the fastest. And the first learning from that is when I um, said that with a little bit of a shaky voice in a performance review, 
the response was really overwhelmingly positive and um and the re the response i got was well because you have that um that value set that we all talk about but potentially don't do that's the reason that you're going to get a promotion and that's the reason we're going to support you so i'd say for those of us that think that just delivering a whole lot of work output is going to be the most valuable thing to get promoted or move ahead often those in leadership positions aren't necessarily looking for that um and and being able to truly live values is, is really really important the second component of that is, like I said, I'm quite early in my leadership journey. I guess I'm only actually about four years out of university myself, um, but I really enjoy working with young people. I really enjoy um, getting involved in teaching science or helping with scholarship applications and talking about career pathway opportunities. And um, so I do try and spend a lot of my time doing that. So I'm able to do it because I've already set that expectation at work. And then I'm plan for those types of initiatives and opportunities outside of work and if you're extremely lucky which I am in some cases you can combine the two and so often I'll be um, within my KPMG role out speaking to cohorts of young people particularly in the food and fiber sector around um, opportunities to make impact or business startup and entrepreneurship or whatever the topic might be and so yeah I just think that the impact you can have through those types of activities is often so much more valuable than sitting on your laptop writing a report. Spot on. Completely agree. Uh, Jake, might be a nice segue for us to talk about how uh, KPMG and the group that you're a part of here and the agribusiness focus uh, is creating some global impact. Uh, can you tell us about how that's working? Yeah, so um, KPMG, like a lot of these large international um, corporations do create global networks and uh, at KPMG there's global networks for your financial services and your other large areas that will be based in New York and London but our head of agri-food is based in Auckland in New Zealand who's Ian Proudfoot my boss and that came about because Ian made a, a bit of a took a risky step and produced a document called the agribusiness agenda and um, writing about where he saw the future of food and fiber system in New Zealand and our place in the world and initially caught a lot of flack for it. Um, wasn't all positive, but um, he, he's kept writing it and now it is the most read article in the sector or the most read document. Um, this year it's had about two and a half million hits across wow. media, which is another new record and um, thousands of downloads. And that came about from being a little brave and putting himself out there. And after the first few years, it gained quite a lot of international attention and the kind of thought leadership or foresight skills coming out of New Zealand was recognized as being world leading. And Ian was asked to create or, or lead a new international agri-food network. And that's now been going for, I think, close to a decade, which means that um, over 50 countries around the world have been being coordinated and led by little old New Zealand. And what's important there is not that New Zealand or Ian or um, I now coordinate that network. It's not that any of us have all of the answers or know everything and just teaching everyone. It's that we 
provide the structures and support to to get the best out of a whole network to facilitate the conversations um, while also contributing value where we do have value to contribute as well. And so what I've found is that that is relevant both in the big KPMG corporate context, but even in another role that I have, um, I am part of a international group called iPharma, which is a um, international farming and agriculture management association it's a it links academics with um, industry and i'm the oceania representative on an international young board and again it's almost the exact same situation in a very different context where having oceania's views um, represented uh, having the structures that we do in oceania and being a small sector and able to pull people together quite quickly means that we're leading that global movement and the rest of the international network is kind of copying the pilot models which I'm producing or developing here. Uh, and that's in organizing regional committees and putting together events and um, making interesting innovation guest speaker series and all that kind of thing. And so I guess the main lesson from all that is from here in New Zealand, especially in this very digitally connected world, there's a lot of opportunities to show leadership to facilitate leadership and then also to bring leadership back here as well and take those learnings. And the more that we get involved with the rest of the world, the better, um, because it is quite easy for us to be so narrowly focused, especially obviously um, in the current dynamics of, of the COVID-19 world. Um, so that international connection has never been more important. Mm. Brilliant. And uh, we're probably many of us aware of the uh, challenges around food production for an ever increasing global population of people, uh, etc. What are some of the things that you've come across that you're most excited about um, in terms of innovation in the sector? Yeah, there is a lot happening in the sector. Um, the big buzz topics are uh, cellular ag um, and alternative proteins, but um, equally, there's a lot of innovation happening in our more traditional sectors. I guess the one most important point, which is probably the most poorly understood, is how well New Zealand do in this aspect. So New Zealand produces such highly efficient, um, nutritious food per unit footprint um, that we are, I'm quite comfortable saying absolutely global leaders in, in food production in terms of our nutrition uh, units of nutrition per unit footprint. And I've done pretty in-depth analysis of, of farming practices in, in quite a few locations around the world. And the fact that we produce such high quality food with essentially no subsidies and on lower class land it's phenomenal what we do and I don't think that there's the recognition that it deserves so often we have um, public or consumers using international standards and or international information to uh, justify certain decisions or certain perceptions of farming in New Zealand for example um, without understanding just how well we do lead the world and what really important to understand there is New Zealand's food production if we produce less food with the growing population that food must be produced 
elsewhere in the world, or there's going to be people that are hungrier than they are now. We've already got just over 800,000 people, oh, sorry, 800 million people in the world that don't have enough food to eat. And for every kilo less of meat or dairy product we produce, um, if it gets produced overseas, it'll be produced less environmentally efficiently. Whereas at the moment, we are piling on quite a lot of regulation or um, other restrictions on our farmers to that will drive down production and have a net negative impact on the world. And so that's an example of where we're showing extreme leadership by we took off subsidies from our farming. Uh, our farmers have become extremely innovative. They have world leading environmental practice in terms of the amount of biodiversity, plantations, farming systems and efficiency. Yet sometimes because they've done so well, we think that we can pile them up with more stuff to do better instead of recognizing the success they've had. So that's that's one of the tough things for the food and fiber sector at the moment, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah fascinating uh, innovations happening all around the place. And uh, isn't it interesting when you uh, bring a maybe a set of parameters to uh, an individual, an organization, a sector, uh, just how they respond. You know, I'm sure when subsidies were first removed, there was the thought was, you know, this is a disaster. We're never going to be able to cope. Everyone else in the world or many parts of the world have have subsidies, and yet uh, it's driven huge amounts of innovation to the to the point as you're highlighting, uh, our New Zealand farmers are doing better than uh, most others in the world and how we uh, produce our food. So um, it's pretty interesting to see when when presented with a challenge, uh, if you have the right response to it, how effective you can be in, in getting some great great ideas to resolve or yeah solve that that issue yeah absolutely and i mean i probably ended up going a little bit off topic <laughs> in terms of your question on innovation so i should probably re revisit that just slightly and explain a couple of the, the other exciting things that are happening around the world in this space um i think the some of the technologies we're seeing um we often think of are in the future and without realizing that they're actually already here and um, that's things like 3D printed targeted nutrition. There's, uh, there's multiple companies working on versions of this, but there's a, an organization which will 3D print lollies which, or sweet stacks, which are designed specifically to target your own um, personal nutrition based on your DNA, your lifestyle and your preferences. Um, people are probably aware of versions of this, but we have fridges for sale in New Zealand right now that can uh, not only scan your food as you put the food into the fridge, not only tell you the weight and volume that you've got on it, not only connect to Instagram, Facebook and Spotify, but also give you recipe recommendations based on what you've got in your fridge. They can then adjust those recipes if you've got more or less people to feed for the day. Um, and then they can order your food for you once you start running out before you even realize you're running out. Um, so very digitally connected devices. Uh, we do have, um, like I said, in, in the cellular ag space, we have, um, we do now have the first approved stem cell based meat being sold in Singapore. We have many organizations that are um, working on and, and investing in being able to produce commercially viable and competitive cellular meat products um, and similar in, um, in synthetic dairy. 
So you have people making ice cream with real milk proteins and fats that have not come from a cow. Um, you have steak that is being 3D printed with real mammalian cells, which were grown in a laboratory. Um, and you have AI creating flavors that can be combined with these technologies. So there's a lot happening and, and it is happening now. So it's a, a very interesting space. Very. So who have you bought short shares in recently? <laughs> We're quite restricted in the investing activity we can make when working at a big <laughs> four because <laughs> KPMG is involved in, in a whole lot of organizations. So my investing activity has been quite reduced. <laughs> quite reduced and we, and we, can't, we can't ask you for any tips because there won't be a breach as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just use a quick bit of sign language on the podcast so people can make, <laughs> yeah. make, a, uh, make, make some investment decisions. Yeah. And it's been, uh, been really helpful, Jack. Um, tell me what would be your business superpower either one that you feel like you've got now or one that you'd like to grow or develop oh that's an excellent question probably one that fits into both categories I think one of my business superpowers has been empathy um, and just being able to uh, communicate and interact with others and also understand what might drive and empower them or make them feel supported or meet their expectations. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think that's still something that I want to work on and continue to improve, particularly as you work in different contexts with people from different backgrounds and so on. And I think if I had to pick any skill that is most important in leadership, it would probably be empathy. So that can cover both bases for me. It should, certainly can. And it's a uh, great uh, skill to have in so many areas. So uh, I think it's a wise, wise choice. And uh, just to round out our conversation today, if you could uh, assume someone else's life for a day, who would you be? Oh, wow. That is a tough one. Um, <laughs> If I could assume someone else's life for a day, I think I'd pick our Prime Minister, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. It's not just because I've just watched her announcement an hour and a half ago, but I think it would be really interesting to understand the day-to-day -day life of a, of a New Zealand Prime Minister and understand a little bit of what that looks like. <laughs> um, I think it would be a very interesting position to be in. I think it would be, and I think it uh, might be quite terrifying. I don't think too many of us appreciate uh, just what any of our global leaders and certainly uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern go through on a daily basis and uh, the um, hours that they put into yeah. uh, being prepared and briefing and doing doing their part. It's uh, in the scheme of things, I think, um, regardless of how you vote, I think it's a uh, pretty thankless role given the uh, effort that they, they put in. Yeah. Um, which does then uh, often lead my thinking to uh, how on earth uh, some countries um, have leaders that are such an age and stage of the life and how they have the energy to uh, deliver um, yeah. in, in that role. Pretty phenomenal. But hey, Jack, again, thank you uh, for joining us on the uh, podcast today. Those insights you've had have been really uh, brilliant and, and helpful. Um, I know you're a person that uh, looks to contribute back to the community um, well outside what just what you do in, in your work environment. Any, uh, any things you could share with us that you might have coming up that we could keep an eye out for? 
Yeah, um, there will be. So I did a marathon in gumboots last year and the gumboots may make a reappearance this year, but they'll probably be for a different color and a different cause. So um, all to be announced before long. But um, yeah, what I do try to do in terms of some of that charity work is really find causes that are really important and valuable, both from a personal perspective or um, that, that really I think are an opportunity to make a big impact. And there's a couple of causes that um, I'm really wanting to support. So if people want to keep an eye out for a crazy person running through Auckland and gum boots, that'll be me. But you can also probably find updates on that on LinkedIn or Instagram or um, yeah, the various platforms. And then also working on a new um, social enterprise, which is bringing uh, it's a social enterprise I used to work on in Hamilton and looking to reset that up in Auckland, which is doing science education for mostly primary school age children and teaching them around problem solving, communication um, and confidence in, in public speaking. So that's another n- initiative to watch out for. Um, but really, I'm always looking to share more conversations and, and link up with like-minded people so encourage anyone that any of this might have resonated with that wants to have a chat to just reach out great and uh jack will put your uh linkedin uh profile details in the podcast show notes so people can find you easily um and good to know that if we spot a man running around in gum boots or uh explosions <laughs> in any school schoolyards <laughs> then uh, there's a high chance that you've been responsible for them Exactly right. (laughs) Hey, thanks for joining us today, Jack. It's been great. No pleasure. Thanks, Ryan.